This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. The Catholic Church teaches that we were saved through a combination of God's grace, the merits that we accumulate through penance and good works, and the excess merits that the saints before us have accumulated. The Reformers, though, they came in and they responded, sola gratia, grace alone. It's no work that we can do to add to or bring to the table in dealing with our salvation. It's been said before, but it's still true today. We're saved by grace through faith alone. Understand that salvation is a free gift from God. He sent His only Son to this earth so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for our sin. So why then do we think that our salvation is summed up with grace plus works? It's not. Our works will never save us. However, the Bible does teach us that we were created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared for us to walk in. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 for part one of our message entitled, An Effective Grace. Julia Johnston was a uh, preacher's kid, and uh, she actually grew up as a young lady who loved the Lord, who served the Lord all of her life, very effective in her life for the Lord Jesus. When she was about six years old, her family moved to Peoria, Illinois, where her father took the position as the minister at First Presbyterian Church of Peoria, Illinois, and he served there until his death in 1864. Julia, though, after her father's death, remained at the church, continued as a member of that church, and actually got very involved in the teaching of Sunday school, and she became the head of the infant and the nursery department and stayed in that position for 41 years. That in itself ought to gain her a great reward in heaven. But along with that, that wasn't all that she did. The, the Lord also gave her a really tender heart for missions, and she served on their churches and their denominations mission board for 24 years. Beside that, she also wrote over 500 hymns. A lady who truly loved the Lord in every aspect of it and showed it in so many ways. One of those hymns that I'm very familiar with uh, has a chorus that goes like this. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that's greater than all my sin. And as we continue our journey into the book of Ephesians, we're going to be looking at three short verses this morning. And though there are three short verses, I know that it's going to take more than just one week or one setting for us to be able to speak of these verses. So we are going, as we look at them, we're going to see the greatness of God's grace. As a matter of fact, I've titled this message, The Effective Grace, or An Effective Grace. I believe that these three verses that we're going to be looking at, verses 8, 9, and 10 of chapter 2, are some of the most powerful, literally, of all of Scripture. And because they are so powerful, these three verses and the interpretation, the application of these three verses 
is often contested, quite often debated by various realms within Christendom. There have been times that the very interpretation of these verses brought great division into the church. As a matter of fact, it's because of the interpretation of these three verses and others like it that the Protestant Reformation came about because of the power of these verses. So I want to do them justice today, and that's one of the reasons why I don't want to rush through them, because there's so much to say about them. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, I understand that all of Scripture is precious, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Precious for us as believers. Powerful because they are the Word of God. But I also believe that throughout Scripture, there are these particular dazzling jewels that suddenly just kind of come up out of there, and we, we see some, some verses within Scripture that just really, they're beautiful to behold. We want to linger again on as we look at them. These three verses here in Ephesians chapter 2, to me, I, I believe that they would stand out literally as the crown jewels. Of scripture. I think that it would serve you well, whether you're old or young, new in the faith or very mature in the faith, to commit these three verses to memory. Not only for your own edification, which I know that it will be good for you, but also for you to be able to share these verses, the intent and the meaning of these verses, with either a struggling saint or a lost sinner, because it speaks to both. These verses, I believe, is the essence of the gospel. I believe that in these verses is the very heart and the the plan of God. I believe that within these three verses, you can take the entire message of the Old Testament and of the New Testament, combine them together in the intent and the extent and the depth of what these three verses declare to us. And as I share, these verses, as well as many others like them, played this huge part in the 16th century Protestant Reformation. The interpretation of these verses and the others brought about the formation of the Protestant movement, of which that's what we are, okay? In case you've ever wondered what we are, we are Protestants. We are just kind of wrapped in that large group of believers. That differentiates us from Catholicism, and that's what the Protestant Reformation brought about. It became a split, a division from Catholicism. And from that split, from the Roman Catholic Church, was birthed out a multitude of denominations. The Lutheran denomination, the Presbyterian, the Anglicans, the Methodists, the Anabaptists, the Dutch Reformed, and then so many others split off from those through the years. And that's just kind of where we're at with that. Out of that time called the Reformation, came what is known as the five sole, or the five solas. And the sola is a Latin term, which means alone, or the only. And these five statements, these declarations, 
they became actually the fundamental building blocks for the beliefs of the churches that were birthed out of the Reformation, and they represent to us the primary doctrinal differences and the reasoning for the split between Protestantism and Catholicism. These five issues, these five declarations that separate Protestants from Catholics are as follows. The first one, sola scriptura, scripture alone. Scripture alone is our authority. The second one, sola gratia, grace alone. That again, grace is the one and only method of our salvation. The third one is sola fide, faith alone. Faith alone is that vehicle or the channel of our salvation. Nothing else, just simple faith. Solus Christus, Christ alone. That Christ alone is the one, the only source of our salvation and our connection, our relationship with God the Father. And then the fifth one is sole Dio Gloria. To God alone be the glory. To God alone be the glory. In every aspect of our lives, that our lives should be lived totally and completely to the glory of God. Now, we don't have time today, nor do I think it's really necessary for us to go through all five of these. The reason I draw your attention to it is because three of these, the three middle ones, grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone, we find right here in these verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. Simply put, the Catholic Church teaches that we were saved through a combination of God's grace, the merits that we accumulate through penance and good works, and the excess merits that the saints before us have accumulated. The Reformers, though, they came in and they responded, sola gratia, grace alone. It's no work that we can do to add to or bring to the table in dealing with our salvation. The Catholic Church also teaches that our justification comes by virtue of our faith and the works that we produce. The Reformers responded, sola fide, faith alone. We're justified by faith alone, which then opens up for us what is called that imputed righteousness of Christ. By faith we come to Christ, and then God then imputes to us or gives to us the very righteousness of Christ. God freely credits to our account the righteousness of Christ as well as his death for all those who believe. And thirdly, and below this isn't a bash on the Catholic Church, I'm simply telling you the differences between the two. Thirdly, the Catholic Church teaches that we are saved by the merits of Christ and the saints, and that we approach God through Christ, the saints, and through Mary, and all who pray and intercede for us. Now the Reformers again replied, No, solus Christus, Christ alone. We are saved by the merits of Christ alone, and we come to God through Christ alone, through no other channel. We don't pray to anyone else. We pray to Christ, to the Father, through Christ, to the Father. We have complete access to the Father through Christ. 
grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And that's why I say that these three are the biblical hallmarks of our Christianity. And that's why it's so important for us to know these things so that we don't get caught up in other teachings. And any movement, any group, any church that doesn't hold these three things, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, if they don't hold those up as the paramount and integral part of their belief system, then, beloved, they are one of two things. They are either an absolute false cult or they are a group that has a pseudo-form of Christianity because it cannot be true Christianity if they don't hold these three areas in most high importance. And it doesn't matter how sincere they are. It doesn't matter how devout they are. It's no matter how good, no matter how externally righteous they might be, no matter how many good works they do, no matter how much social injustice they fight against. Beloved, it's the foundation of faith that makes a difference. It's not external workings. It is the reality of who we are, what we believe, and what we hold dear in our lives that makes the difference. And to help you understand the importance of these issues, you need to realize that this is not only what brought about the Reformation, but this brought about the death of so many who held to these things so strongly that they were willing to die for these points because they believed it so strongly in their lives that they would rather stand on the truth of God's Word and die than to live and bow to the authority of man or the doctrines of man. I guess my first question for you this morning is, how strongly do you believe what you believe? And are you willing to take that kind of a stand if that kind of a pressure ever came against you? And say, oh, pastor, that won't happen to us. We live in America. Well, America is changing fast. And you and I need to know what we believe, we need to know why we believe it, then we need to stand firm in that belief. These are the non-negotiables. These are the tenets of the Christian faith, the essential doctrinal truths that you and I need to have in our lives. And we see all three of those, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, here in these verses. And as we begin to look deeper in these verses this morning, I want to challenge you to do one of a couple of things. If you're a note-taker... I'll be giving you some kind of highlights that you can use as kind of a list of outline for you in your notes. If you're not a note taker, then I would encourage you to at least mark these things down in your Bibles. That's right, write in your Bibles. It's okay. I give you permission to do that. This is paper, beloved. What's in it is the Word of God. But for you to write down or to circle, and if you don't want to write in your Bible... Then write in your neighbor's Bible. Just reach over there and draw a circle in theirs. Paul tells us in verse 8, the very first thing, for by grace. Grace is one of those things you need to highlight. Grace. Because that's what it's all about, folks. It is grace. He says you've been saved through faith. That's the second thing. Faith. That not of yourselves. That's the third thing. Not of yourselves. And the fourth thing, it's the gift of God. The gift of God. And again, the fifth thing, not of works in verse 9. Down in verse 10, we have His workmanship. We are His workmanship. 
The next is for good works, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Then after that is prepared beforehand, which God prepared beforehand. And lastly, walk in them, that we should walk in them. One of the first things that we see, as I shared with you, one of the first things that we see in this text is the word of the concept of grace. The unmerited favor of God, undeserved and sovereignly bestowed upon those who believe. It may sound like a riddle when I would say that grace must be totally grace or it's not grace at all. But, beloved, it's not a riddle, it's just the truth. It's got to be totally grace, otherwise it is not grace. If I am saved by a portion of grace and a portion of good works, then it's no longer grace. It's suddenly something that's owed to me, something that I deserved. Well, beloved, grace is unmerited favor that God, because He is God, willingly and lovingly bestowed on those who believe. I believe that this is what Julia Johnston uh, understood when she wrote those words. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all my sin. She understood knew that there was nothing she could do to cover that sin. It was all that God has done through Christ. When we think of the concept of grace, we need to consider what type of grace we're speaking about. One of the other things that came out of the Reformation, and it's primarily a, a Reformed theology uh, doctrine, but it fits very well, I believe, across the board with all churches, is this idea and understanding of what's called common grace. Common grace refers to that grace of God that's common to all humanity, both believers as well as non-believers. It's called common because the whole human race experiences it without any distinction between one person or another, both believers and unbelievers. It's grace because it's undeserved and it's sovereignly bestowed by God. And this common grace can be described as that which curbs the overall destructive power of sin in the world. You realize that if it wasn't for the grace of God, if it wasn't for the hand of God in our world today, that our entire world would be probably very similar to northern Sudan, where people are just murdering and killing and slashing and thrashing and, and power, or that might is power. Do you realize that outside of the grace of God that, that contains in some way a measure of moral order to the world? that our entire world would be like a Sodom and Gomorrah because of the wickedness of man. You see, man outside of Christ, as wicked as he is, he still, most people, have some kind of a moral standard that they have in their life. And it's so interesting to talk to them and say, well, what is your moral standard? Where, where is the level of your morality? And if they're outside of Christ, if they don't believe in the Word of God, well, their moral uh, reality may be anywhere along the map. I mean, all over the place. And you talk to one, and his moral standard is here, and the other one, well, his moral standard is here. What do you base your moral standard on? They don't know. They just believe that some things are right, some things are wrong. I believe it's only because of the common grace of God that we even have that much within humanity. Because we see humanity, when left totally to itself, sinks to the 
grossest depth of perversion and abuse. I believe that it's the common grace of God that, that distributes to man all around various gifts, various talents, the ability to develop uh, the sciences and, and the arts. I mean, there's a lot of lost people that create a lot of beautiful things. I believe, again, that's the common grace of God that He's poured out in humanity. Untold blessings that mankind receives. But that's not the grace that Paul speaks of here. Paul speaks here particularly of what is called saving grace. A saving grace that is a particular grace for a particular reason. Saving grace is the work of God to bring about redemption, to bring about salvation, to bring about the justification, to bring about the sanctification within the hearts and lives of believers. And again, all of that is undeserved. All of that is sovereignly bestowed because of the greatness of who God is. This saving grace is available from God to humanity through no effort and through no ability of man. Can I give you that again? The saving grace is available from God to humanity through no effort and through no ability of man. It is the gift of God. And as soon as we start saying, yeah, but suddenly it's no longer all grace, is it? And as soon as it becomes not all grace, it becomes not grace at all. It's truly great grace. It's a marvelous grace, a grace greater than all our sin. God's saving grace provides, he, he makes available salvation to us, and it becomes effective only to those who, through the channel of faith, are able to receive it. That's why Paul says, for by grace are you saved through faith. That's the next point, this idea and this thought of faith. This ability to be able to believe the unbelievable, to be able to see the unseeable, the willingness to trust that that we can't hold on to. Beloved, right now you need to understand if you are in faith in Christ, you are believing the unbelievable. You see in the Spirit those things that cannot be seen in the flesh. That's what faith is all about. We have faith in who God is because we've read His Word. And yes, I know because of the work of the Spirit in our life, but on a practical, kind of a worldly sense, the fact is, is you've not seen, you've not touched Christ. Oh, the early disciples, that's why John writes in 1 John, that which we have seen, that's which we have touched, we've held with our own hands. This is the story we bring to you. He was an eyewitness of it. You and I aren't eyewitnesses of that. We come totally, completely by faith. The clear definition that we get from the Word is found in Hebrews chapter 11, isn't it? In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, the writer writes that, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. Because, beloved, if you could see it, it's no longer faith. If you have it, if you could hold it, it's no longer faith. Faith is, again, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. In the book of Romans, Paul helps us to understand how Abraham believed or he had faith in God. And that faith alone, long before and outside of any works that Abraham did, 
that that faith alone is what was accounted to him for his salvation, for his righteousness. Paul writes in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, he says, For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but it's a debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Faith is not a work of man. It's simply the opening of the heart of man to be able to receive the completed work of Christ. It seems that more and more people are getting caught up in a works-based expression of their faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This is the book Pastor David is currently teaching through, Ephesians. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com. And follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter, The Open Word Radio, or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. That's next time on The Open Word.